Pastor, I'm really honored to at last be allowed to be here. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm just blessed to be here. It's such an honor to minister with you this morning and share with you the Word of God. Um, I am I'm so thrilled to be with you guys and honor Andrew and Carol. They've been dear friends for many, many years now. We've known each other for a long time. That's one of the beautiful things in our family. We journey together, not just short-term. We, we value relationships. And I really honor God for this moment to share with you. But I'm this morning going to um, co-preach. I'm going to start off with a few testimonies. And then I'll, go, I'll, I'll just conclude that with a sermon, you know, conclude with a message. I'm going to ask Dieter and, and, uh, to join me on stage and see if you can join me also. These are two friends of ours, a part of our new church plant. And um, so we just launched, the 7th of May, we launched a new church, which accidentally, I wasn't planning on planting again. And one of our breakaways, one of our congregations were kind of mentioning that they have to transplant because the venue they're in is too small. They, you know, people are sitting under the trees, the tree. And uh, so they wanted to plant in this area. But they don't have a leader, and one guy made a joke, says, Phil, why don't you and Renee plant? And I said, no, there's no way. With all the studies and business, I can't do that. And as I got home, my wife said, have you prayed about it? As a godly woman, not giving me off to. So I prayed about it, and God said, you have to do this. And by God's grace, he's enabled us. We started doing boxes November last year. Prepared the 7th of May, we launched our new, was actually a transplant, a little bit of a jippo. It wasn't from scratch. We took a few people with us, and... We lost on the 7th of May our congregation. These two people are part of that. So I'm going to ask Dieter and Seed to share a little bit. Please be in line with what we're sharing this morning. And I hope this morning you'll be inspired, you'll be encouraged, and you will be motivated to embark a lifestyle that is literally the lifestyle of a Christian. That's not something that somebody imposes on us. This is the reality when we get saved and understand the scripture. So Dieter... Um, got saved, and uh, I'm going to ask him just to share a little bit, he sees me, and how things came about. So, Dieter, tell me a little bit about your, in short, your past, where you came from. Morning, um, Philip, and morning, morning family. Uh, great to be here. It feels like there's a, as if there's a fresh serving of grace here. It's wonderful <laughs> to be here. So, uh, just briefly, I was saved a year ago. Um, uh, where should we start? Let's, uh, let's start um, in the hospital. Maybe start with your upbringing. Uh, let's, uh, let's start with the past, and, and, and then we end in hospital. Yeah. So the past made me end in hospital. <laughs> so, uh, so I grew up uh, Dutch Reformed in a, in a very conservative family, very religious, uh, very very legalistic. And, and kind of where that led in, in time was me turning my back on the church, even going as far as to say I hate the church. If you told me I would, uh, you were a Christian, I would cut you off at the, at the Achilles heel. Because as... Uh, as, as bad, some of my colleagues called me the Antichrist. So nothing that I'm, I'm, I'm proud of, but um, God works in, in wonderful, wonderful uh, ways. So uh, fast forward over a few years, I haven't been in church for 20 years. I uh, didn't own, own a Bible, wasn't a godly husband, I uh, wasn't a godly uh, colleague or, or someone in the, in the workforce. So 19th of Feb last year, I found myself in the emergency room at uh, Medi Clinic in Midstream. Um, kind of arrogant high as a kite, uh, drunk, uh, with the doctor telling me, um, my friend, we're looking at your EKG, basically make your phone calls, so arrogantly, hi, um, thing, <laughs> I've got this. So then I heard her making a phone call to the cardiologist to say, we've got an individual here, um, we don't think it's worth prepping the, the cat lab, we won't get them there. And then you see them pushing in the crash cart and, and all of that. So eventually ended up in the, in the, in the cat lab. It's a procedure that they put in a stand and so forth, but they keep you awake. So um, you're supposed to be there for 40 minutes. Uh, I was there for an hour and a half. Awake, arms in the air. Not a very comfortable uh, situation. I think the first sincere prayer I had um, in, in 20 years, and that was help. <laughs> okay. So uh, one would think after that, I survive it, um, I'm in ICU, no, very arrogant, very self-centered, get released from the hospital, it's a miracle, I was supposed to be there for five days, I get released in three days. What do I do? I'm drunk two days later, away from my family, back, back to my old ways, substance abuse and so forth. 
So, so, so a good story would have been, help God save them, and there I go, not my story. So I continue with my lifestyle now, I, I quit my job, told myself that I need a break, I'm burned out, meanwhile, more of a substance problem, to be 100% honest, but lost, completely lost, in darkness, surrounded by chaos, literally no one in my life, and fellowship was speaking into my life, and just blind to, to everything around me. Then on 16th of um, April, I'm in gym listening to my EDM um, self-centered, you first, uh, bugger, bugger everything else type of songs. And funny thing happens, YouTube pushes a song, and the song is here as an app, Heaven by Elevation Worship. Don't listen to gospel. Furthest thing, I think it's a YouTube mistake. And in that moment, um, I'm outside alone at 6 o'clock in, in the gym, and the only way I can describe it now in retrospect is I felt the love of Jesus um, presenting itself to me. No one's speaking to me. Nothing except for a, a gospel song. I fell to my knees and, and was sobbing in the gym for half an hour. And this is where, where Philip and the family comes in. What happened concurrently to, to this? And, and here's, here's where my, my, my faith became the start of a journey where my faith became unshakable. I am watching the time on that beautiful screen. <laughs> um, that evening, uh, two of, of the Willow's elders, uh, Lorna and Pierre, who happens to be family of mine that I haven't seen in nine years, both wake up with the Holy Spirit conviction to come pray over me. Well, I didn't even know they're Christian, no Christian contact, no nothing, anything. This morning I fell to my knees. Evening, two of my family presented my door to say, we woke up this morning with the Holy Spirit conviction that we have to pray to you. So think of that. Fell to my knees, felt the love of Jesus, which I can now describe as that, I didn't know what was going on, just sobbing, and, and here they, they picked up um, at my door. So, um, prayed over, over me, what happened in the, in the next week was, was mind-blowing. Uh, first time in May, guess where I was, I was in Stanmore's drunk, um, again. Um, and uh, one of my very good friends knocks at my room door, didn't know he was questioning anything, he said, in this house we go to church. I'm like, okay, so felt love of God, people coming to my house starting to pray for me. Now, all of a sudden, there's, there's this friend, we're actually in fellowship, I just don't know it. Big Christians say we're going to church. Fast forward, that church service sends me to a mission on, on Zimbabwe. I become a little bit of a missionary for, for a few months. And um, yeah, then most important thing is, I think where, where every nation had major impact in my life, as people then started to speak into my life. First church service there, immediately in community, immediately in family, immediately in a connect group. So being disciple, and it's a culture of, of then taking every single opportunity to start discipling. Now I'm thinking, I'm a new Christian, I don't even know the Bible, I know nothing. In retrospect, I started discipling. So there's about, who's counting? Five to, five to ten of my friends, it's now in every nation on earth that were substance abusers with me, didn't go to church, just by, by what God has done, and so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna end up with the music for So the beauty of this, and I wanna I'm gonna speak on living connected. So I want to connect the dots for you that you would see what we do is never in vain. In Stellenbosch, um, in 2003, I was preaching one of the raises, and one guy gave his life to Christ. And I went to him office and I started to disciple him and walk with this guy, love Jesus. And uh, he's now living in Victoria. His name is Willem. And Willem is the guy who actually discipled him. And so just not knowing, you don't know it in 2003, this will happen in 2000, whatever. I mean, but it's living connected. It's living purposefully and help people. And so Willem has been instrumental living, you know, walking with him. And now he's journeying with us and our new church plants. And Dieter has got a friend in, in, in Rosebank that has got saved. It's now in Simon's Connect Group. I um, mean, he called me other days, listen, hey, there's a lady that was with me in my previous life, kind of living in Paul. Do we have a church there? I connected with my brother's church in Paul. I um, mean, and so it's all, Dion came to church. He hasn't been to church for 10 years. I mean, the moment he came, it was his birthday. So we celebrated his birthday, and then we brought out his life. Dion gave his life to Christ that morning, and I knew we were the church plant, and now he's serving Jesus. And so you can see this, the connection, the outflow of serving Jesus for a year. And, and, and the impact on people's lives. So, and coming from a religious Christian background, end up in major drug abuse and messing up his life. So I want to switch over to Seed. Thanks, Dieter. All right, Mr. Seed, 
share with us a little bit of your boss and your backgrounds and um, yeah, what happened here. Um, hi everyone. It's it's uh, amazing to be here. Uh, been wanting to come and visit. Great opportunity. Thank you for having me. Um, so my name is Said, and I am originally from East Africa, small nation called Eritrea. Anyone know it? Yeah. Wow, amazing. <laughs> okay, so I grew up in a Muslim background um, with a very staunch Islamic just lineage. My parents Muslims or family relatives Muslims. And uh, from the age of seven, the way uh, Islam works is we go to Islamic school. So we learn the Arabic alphabet. So the Quran, the Holy Book of Islam, is in Arabic. So it's your language or not, you need to read it in Arabic, you need to learn it. So we start off with learning the language, the alphabets and learning how to read it. Not necessarily understanding it. So from the age of seven, started going to school, learn the alphabets, learn the Quran, learned how to read it, and then you are forced to memorize it. And now when I say forced, you are actually literally forced because otherwise you get a stick or a spanking. So it's, yeah, that was uh, everyday life. So that, that happened from the age of 7 to 12, and I had actually finished the Quran and memorized about a quarter of it. And that was going to the school daily uh, for it. So we, uh, my family and I moved to Kenya and then moved to here, so I'm going to be jumping years. And I've never had an encounter with, uh, with a believer, like a Christian, with a believer that came to speak to me about Christ or the Bible or anything of that sort. It's just from my background, I've always heard or had this idea of don't speak to uh, uh, Christians, they are going to defile you, don't touch the Bible, don't look into it, don't listen to anything. So we were trained to be able to counter anything um, any Christian would, would come with. So fast forward, um, now here in South Africa, in 2014 when I was studying at the University of Pretoria, there was this random guy that just came and approached me. And he, and he came and he said, can I pray for you? And I told him I'm a Muslim. And he said he just wants to pray for me and he's going to leave me. And he just kept on pestering me. And I, and I said, okay, okay, uh, what do you want me to do? And he said, give me your hands. And he prayed for me and he left. And I was staying. Um, uh, close to my campus, so I went to visit my family two weeks later, and I'm, uh, we are six siblings, I'm the oldest, so my siblings were running around and busy and really noisy, and usually that used to tick me off, because I had a short temper, <laughs> and for the first time when I went home, I actually found myself really thinking and wondering, why am I not getting angry, and I kept on like, seeing days forward that anger actually really left me, you know, and I never really connected it immediately to, to that prayer. But, but that left. And now, you know, praying to uh, now the Islamic God we call Allah, and we pray five times a day, and being really growing up, I trained into praying to Allah. So, you, you know, you go through life, you go through situations. And praying to Allah always felt like a one-way communication. Never really heard anything back. So, I grew up with a hole in my heart where whatever I go through, anything I say, anything, like I'm on my knees, you know, five times a day. But nothing is happening, nothing is changing. So. I felt like this is not working out. So now I'm in university, so I make, I make friends, and we are uh, drinking, we are smoking, we are doing everything we, yeah, that shouldn't be done. <laughs> and that was as a result of now really keep, keep on knocking, keep on just really speaking and nothing coming back. And I felt I need to find a solution because there's an emptiness in my heart that I don't know what to do about. So I resorted to alcohol and all those things, and that happened for almost two years. And I found myself one night, uh, we were friends drinking, and I left them in my room, and I went to the rooftop, and I just went up, because I was feeling empty, alone, and, and purposeless. And I just said, God, whoever you are, I need you to help me out. I need you to, uh, yeah, this emptiness, I don't know what to do about it. Help me. Help. Yeah, that's actually, it's a short, beautiful prayer. <laughs> And this is the first time I said, God, whoever you are. And I said, whatever I need. And I said, you know, if I need a serious relationship, you know, send me someone. So perhaps, yeah. Three, uh, three months in, uh, I started dating this girl. Uh, so from day one, I'm hearing about Christ. 
Like every single day, every argument should bring in Christ, every single day into the conversation. So it being a new relationship, I was a bit tolerant. Uh, I wanted to just, you know, take it easy, uh, just hear her out. Um, and it, I don't want to take too much, but it really, she kept on like really reinforcing Christ. And it really, I found it odd. Because why are you so devoted and why are you so, like you want to talk about God, like in Christ, like that, as if you have a, re like a relationship. It was a bit strange, a bit odd for me, I didn't understand it, because, you know, that's not what I grew up with. And then, you know, it got to a point where you need, you need to stop drinking, you need to stop smoking, you need to stop uh, doing these things. And I said, hey, we are not married, we just started. <laughs> and she really kept on pressing, but I had no idea she was praying for me. But she was really pushing it, and then, you know, it started, something started happening as she's speaking to me about Christ. So there was this part of me, like, I'm only saying that my right side... Like was feeling so much anger, like my hand actually wanted to move and slap her and silence her every time she started talking about Christ. And then there was my left side now where I could feel a pull, it's like strings being pulled, like my heart, something touching my heart. I'm liking what she's saying, but then there's something in me that doesn't like what she's saying. So I was wrestling like within myself daily, where now I started getting dizzy every time she started talking about, about Christ. I started blacking out when she's talking about Christ, but I did everything I could to, 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 to look like I'm fine, you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, so that went on three months. I stopped smoking, drinking, and everything miraculously. I had no idea how. I didn't try. I just lost desire. And that was just from, from prayer that I was not aware of. Next step now was I need to forgive my dad. And my dad was in the military for 15 years, hardcore military guy, and we didn't have a good relationship. So I've already, I grew up hating him because he was just really physically abusive, just emotionally abusive. And I complained about him a lot in the relationship. And she said, why don't you ask God to, to, to help you? I said, like, what do you mean? Just ask him to, to help you forgive. And I said, no, I don't think things work like that. <laughs> so I don't think I'm going to be picking it up and giving it like to God and say, you know, take it and you, you'll take it. She said, just give it. Say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because we, in, the, in that regard with Islam and Christianity, we agree. Such a God of Abraham, Isaac, don't say Jesus, just say these things. So she kept on saying that for days and I, and I, and I said, okay, and I went to, uh, to my room on my knees laughing, said, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, by all means, it's yours. <laughs> then I went to bed and woke up the next day and got out of my room saw my dad for the first time and felt love for him for the first time. No hatred. No hatred. And I actually followed him until he got to the car to confirm that, you know. <laughs> and then, after that, shortly, then I had a dream. The first dream I had was I was floating in this dark space and then there was fire at the bottom burning. And then a huge scale came in front of me with Jesus on the right, Allah and Muhammad on the left, and I heard choose. And I freaked out. I said Allah and Muhammad because I, I was still a Muslim and I started falling to the fire. And as I was approaching the fire, I started shouting Jesus, Jesus, Jesus three times and I woke up. And freaking out, um, like really not knowing what on earth is going on. And then I had a second dream, a short like two, three weeks later. Then in this dream, I'm on this road and it's nighttime and it's dark. There's fire in buildings and there's car accidents. People are screaming and shouting. I go to this vehicle to see what's going on and, you know, the person is fine, but someone in the vehicle disappeared and the person is freaking out. I go to the store, like across the street, people are freaking out because people are disappearing. I come out, people are disappearing everywhere. And then I'm, I have no idea what was going on and suddenly I see this bright light, like kilometers away. And I see this light and somehow I could zoom in and then see it's a person and then zoom in and I see that it's Jesus and I know that it's Jesus coming like from the sky and just coming down filled with so much light, filled with so much life, like oozing out of him, that, that really was touching me, and I felt things I've never felt and experienced before, and I just see him coming down, and stepping foot on the ground, and everything was shaking, and more people were disappearing, and I was not one of them, and I woke up, and then I was shaken, and then, uh, just to make it short, because time is running, uh, I had another dream where Jesus came to my room, and he's, uh, he, Instantly we teleported to Saudi Arabia where the Kaaba, the Mecca is. So every Muslim in the world prays in the direction of that Kaaba. And he said to me, he's going to destroy that structure. And I saw him going down to 
destroy the structure. And I saw these two huge demons guarding the structure, ready to, to, like, to attack him. And then the dream ended and I woke up. And I started having more frequent dreams of just angels and demons and, and things, you know, like after that. And really experiencing it in dreams and physically. And then, you know, it really got me to questioning. And I felt the Lord saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, follow me. And I gave my life to Christ. And, and, and now, the thing is, you know, you come to Christ, but now you've got no idea. You know, this, this, I'm a loose cannon. I've got no idea, no direction and not knowing like what is what uh, but I was secretly obviously a believer couldn't tell my family but, and after a couple of years the Lord spoke to me that I need to share with them and as I shared with them my family uh, unfortunately disowned me immediately and now I didn't know what to do because God has called me now and he's calling me into ministry and that's what I'm hearing and I have no idea what that means and you know now my wife was working um, just for this company, and now in this company, now the, the person she was working, you know, the boss actually just said, you know what, bring him to me, you know, let's have a conversation, let's, you know, I'll start to connect with him, and he started discipling me. And I started getting discipled and getting, like, aligned, and not just like, you know, days, I was hurt, obviously, with family disowning me, but now it's, I'm getting pulled in and really just healing in the connect group, just healing in discipleship, and God really working in my heart, where my heart started getting hardened, but God really just aligned me and put me in, a, in an environment that really just softened my heart and really opened my heart to like people. And the person that discipled me is Philip, <laughs> who is standing here. <laughs> yeah, and now I'm working, well, I'm full-time in every nation, and I'm working in a school, and I'm also discipling others. And actually I'm discipling someone from Somalia, an ex-Muslim, who was also disowned by a family. And he was so confused with what now. He didn't know. He was he interacted with missionaries that had a Baptist background. So you know there's all these different things, and you have no idea what is what without someone really leading you and aligning you to where you need to be. And and as I started discipling him, now he's like really just coming in. He's like really getting it. And there's really so much power in intentional discipleship. That's just what I want to share. Oh, that was my message. <laughs> so I really hope that blessed you. I hope that's really um, laser that motivates you. That's whatever we do is intentional, and that's you don't know who you're reaching out to. You don't know the impact of those people reaching out. I want you to turn to that picture. On the slide, there's a picture of my connect group. That's just my family, my beautiful wife. We've been married for 23 years. Um, Jesse is 16 years old and Lucas nine years old. Um, they love Jesus and really blessed to have them. My wife is actually preaching this morning about discipleship at Moikir Church. Well, so uh, yeah, so you want to be here. This is one of my connect groups. Um, I've got Jack here. Jack actually saw on the Facebook that we are founding a church. And he said, Pastor Paul, are you going to start a connection? He says, would you disciple me? Now, listen, don't have to ask me if, if, if you're that hungry, yes. We'll make time, we'll find time, we'll do it. And so Jack joined. Um, in fact, I think he came from Evanation Joburg. Yeah, from Baxter, yeah. Because I knew he had some background. I started asking him, he's never been exposed to Evanation. Living in Victoria for two and a half years, not in a small group, nothing. So he's been a, such a blessing. His wife is getting built actually this week. Um, uh, then I've got Sam. Sam came from our Durban church, moved to Victoria. He's a lecturer at the University of Victoria. And a beautiful guy. Both those guys are from Nigeria. He's a local. Um, and Sam is just an incredible gem. God is doing something amazing in his life. Prof. Chris here is also, he's, in, he's basically his resp responsibility for, um, he's in charge of political science of Africa. So all the ambassadors now in Tony, you know, basically relate to them. And he connects with them. So I said with Prof. Chris here, they said, Chris, are you at all friends with the ambassador of Eritrea? He says, it's my friend. He visits me every day. He is my friend. And I mean, we can speak. I mean, we consult. And that is his dad. So not knowing the connection, living connected. So Prof. Chris is friends with his dad, who's not a Christian. That is this only since 2018, they have not spoken. And here, Prof. Chris and my connect group, 
is friends with his dad. Is God not miraculously amazing? So can I ask you, would you please keep on praying for the ambassador of Eritrea? Please don't post this. This is sensitive. Okay, but let's pray. We've been trusting for his dad at this, at this stage. Oh, we have five, six siblings. Three are saved. Two saved, three are And we trust in God that he's, he's actually got married to the lady who runs my business, style the leather business, I mean, Anisha. And that's how we got connected through the business side of it and started discipling. And it's been such a joy. Believe, you know, it's going to triple call his life. And Dika's still in business. And that's where God's using him. So I'm going to switch over and I want to share just a little bit of a short message on Matthew 4. You know, as we look about and look into our lives and all of us, you know, I don't know where you're from, those of you visiting us, I don't know where you stand with God, but I want to ask you, would you open up your heart and allow God to do something in your heart? I was sitting with a businessman four weeks ago, very wealthy guy, and we started talking and the family asked me, would you please meet with our dad because we... We don't want him in our home almost anymore. It's something that's just really difficult. And he's a difficult guy. And now I'm meeting with him for the first time. So I don't know what's going to happen here. So as we start talking, talking, and somehow that conversation led to purpose. And I started to speak about purpose. And Luke and I says, I have zero purpose. He's got all the money in the world. Can do whatever he wants to do. So I've got zero purpose. And we start sharing. And I talked about purpose. And he says, well, I've got no purpose. I sit here. I said, that's why you're an alcoholic. It's because you have no purpose. There's a hole on the inside of you. You try to fill with so many other things. And this 53-year-old man started to cry. He says, that's exactly what it is. So where do I find it? And the privilege of leading him to Christ in the coffee shop. And now we're journeying with him. And I want to encourage us. We have, all of us have connections. All of us walk into people all the time. Jesus did. You see, if you look at this passage in Matthew 4, verse 18 to 22. While Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee... He saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, not as Andrew, um, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with their father, Zebedee and their father, mending their nets, and he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Lord, we thank you that you bless your scripture as we share about it. Now, if you look at the scripture, and I know Pastor Carol will continue with this, and I'm not going to speak on what you think I'm going to speak on. You think I'm going to speak on follow fish and fellowship? No, I'm not. I'm going to help us to understand this passage from a bit of a broader perspective. Keep in mind what happened before this. John and Jesus were born exactly a month apart. John was given a purpose, and his purpose was to declare the one born after him is coming. He was there to prepare the way for the Messiah to come. Then Jesus was the Messiah, coming alongside, coming behind John. Obviously, he was baptized at the moment where John said, I can't baptize you. I know who you are. And he says, you have no choice to baptize me. Why would Jesus be baptized by a normal, frail human being? Because Christianity is not in its perfection, it's seen in its humility. You see, God uses imperfect people, imperfect situations to fulfill His perfect plan. And here comes Jesus and He humbles Himself. He not only submitting to God the Father, but He submits Himself to earthly authority and says, John, you have to baptize me to fulfill all righteousness. And Jesus was baptized, and the moment he was baptized, the Father declared over him his identity. This is my son, my beloved, in whom I'm well pleased. Three things happen at this moment. This is my son, acceptance. My beloved, affection. In whom I'm well pleased, affirmation. All of us need that. And Jesus, before he did a miracle, nothing. This is my son, my beloved. You're accepted. This is my beloved, affection. In whom I'm well pleased. Affirmation. And as you find this moment, Jesus get this, then you find the moment his identity was established. Guess what happened? 
He was led into the desert to be tempted. To solidify who he was. To strengthen what he is. We sometimes think when we go through trials and tribulations, challenges, it's negative. It is not. You see, people who gym, I mean, Dieter, you can see he's been in the gym a little bit. Okay? And uh, when you gym, do you put on less resistance to build more muscles or more resistance? You always put more resistance on if you want to build muscle. See, many times the things we build, the things we face, can build muscle. But the reason why we maybe miss those moments is because of the lack of foundations in our lives. We miss the actually good opportunity, and it becomes a bad thing, which was never intended to be that. And here's Jesus being tempted, and he overcame Satan. He overcame everything, and out of the temptation, he walked out victorious, not just for himself, but for us. And from this moment, you'll find, as Jesus, after he was tempted, he started to preach. Now, with this very first moment he started to preach, guess what was the very first thing Jesus did? Now, this has implications on us. The very first thing after Jesus started to preach, he recruited a team. He called people to follow him. He made us up. He said, you follow me, you follow me. And he made a crew, recruited a team. Jesus cannot do things alone. Why? Because the whole eternity existed in team. Who have you heard of the triune God? It's impossible to express love without having somebody else in the group. You cannot express love. It's just you, me, me myself, and I. You cannot express love. You, the only way you can express love is having others involved in your circle. That's why we serve a triune God. It's not just He is love. They express love. They love love. You cannot have unity unless you can have disunity. There is three in one. That's what happened. And so Jesus, in His whole theology, is not a Lone Ranger. In His whole theology, it's not me, myself, and I. I'm not a self-made man. Not that Jesus. The moment... He started to preach. He recruited a team. And he recruited people who were not established. They were not clear. They were not defined. They were fishermen wandering about. So what happened here? See, when you look at this moment, and we many times look at what did you say and what's the definition of the subject, I want to take you a little bit, give you the perspective in which God called them. So Jesus, it says, and Jesus walked about and he saw who did he see? He saw the very same people that other people see. Don't you think other people walk past these people? All the time. But when Jesus walked past them, he saw them, but he did not just saw them. He saw them. He saw something more bigger, better, something else that other people did not see. Let me tell you, the secret to be behind you and me, living purposefully, living connected, is we cannot look upon people like the world look upon them. We have to see something beyond a Muslim, something beyond a drug addict. We have to see something way beyond calling them, which they themselves can't even call themselves out. If they could do it by themselves, they would be proud. Jesus saw them. Jesus saw them. How do you look upon people? Do you still see people? Do you see your colleagues as irritating you? Or do you see them as an opportunity they're missing Jesus? How do you see people who are struggling? Friends, if we are not the ones bringing the solution, who will? Jesus saw these brothers. And when he saw them, something in his heart well up. What happened? His heart was overwhelmed, overwhelmed with love for them because he cared about them. His love for them compelled them to do something. And then he goes on and says, so Jesus saw people. They were busy with their own daily toils. And what next, what were they doing? They were casting a net into the sea. Why were they doing that? Because they were fishermen. They were defined by birth. They were defined by their human birth to be fishermen. That's their occupation. What do we see? What do we see when you walk back tomorrow in the boardroom? What do you see when you walk past checkers and you see the same lady behind the till that you've seen every single time because you buy there all the time? What do you see when you look at your neighbor? What do you see when you think about your brother and your sister who maybe you maybe don't come along with so much? You know, something's gone wrong there. What do you see? 
our perspective and definition of people influence the way we relate with them. The way we see people either puts us in a positive position where we want to relate intentionally or we want to withdraw intentionally. You see, there's something about the way we look upon people, the spiritual eyes of our lives, when we look upon people, wrong eyes always leads us to wrong action. But good eyes can lead us into godly action. Normal people. See, Jesus saw these normal people. But are they just normal? Or did Jesus see them through kingdom eyes? There's much more about this person's life. We believe in making disciples raising leaders and ultimately the result in church plants. We will never raise leaders unless we see something more than they themselves see. We don't raise leaders because we push them through a lot of books to read. We raise leaders because we so intentionally seeds of greatness in their hearts that they start to believe. And they start to see themselves bigger. They say they see themselves beyond this moment of crisis, this moment of limitation and fears. Jesus saw more than what others saw. And because he saw more, he acted differently. He started to invite them. He invited them, says, why don't you come with me? And why don't you come with me? And that invitation was intentional at that moment, helping them. See, Jesus, because of his godliness, which you and I am not there, I'm not there yet, moved beyond the cultural, economic, and personal bias, which influenced the way we reach out. Ask yourself, is your culture limiting you? from reaching out to another culture. I intentionally went away to the church plant. I said, Lord, one thing is great, church plant. I want to disciple people who can help me to grow beyond my culture. Because if I don't grow that, I will always have a limitation on the way I reach out to people, the way I disciple people. And Jesus gives us an incredible opportunity in his kingdom to do that. that Jesus was just brilliant at this. These people were busy with their own lives. And trying to make a living. So what do we find here beyond just Jesus says, come follow me? You find a net. What is a net? A net is a tool that people use to catch fish. Where do they catch fish? You see the sea. It's the environment and the space where fish lives. And then you have fishermen. That's the occupation defined by birth. And that's what they do to basically make the economic living. So Matthew 4 verse 19, he says, come follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. I'm not going to focus on that part. Let me just give you a highlight. You talk about follow. Jesus says, come. He, he sees these two people and these two people and he invites them on a journey. But this journey is for them to become somebody, not just to do things. Have you seen that phrase people say, do what Jesus did? I always ask people, do you really know what Jesus did? Because you're going to battle with that if you don't really know what Jesus did. So it's actually not a good band. It's like, no, first get to know Jesus. There's something about, it's not do what Jesus did. It's becoming who Jesus is. You see, if you do what Jesus did, and you try hard, and you try your best, and you moralistically try to force yourself into doing things, doing things, you're going to find yourself in a space where you say, I can't get this right. Because Christianity is not difficult. It's impossible. We've heard from two people, religious Christian background, religious Muslim background, both ended up in gross sin. Religion does not save. It says when you and I come and we say, Lord, my goal in life is not to do things. My goal in life is to become like you. And then when you become like Jesus, when you are a human being, let me prove it to you. All of you take a deep breath. Hold it. Hold it. You're not allowed to breathe until I tell you you're allowed to breathe. Hold it. See, it's impossible what I'm doing now. But who's training you to breathe? Now, you're not being trained to breathe. You're a human being. Human beings breathe. You see, that's the thing. When we don't become whatever we propose, you will never do forever unless you become it. We don't make disciples because they need to do things. We make disciples to become like Christ. And because you're becoming, in your becoming is the, is the establishment and the security and the stability of being it. Therefore, you're living it. Therefore, you'll never stop doing it. You see, that follow is a becoming process. And out of that, ultimately, is reaching people. 
But Jesus was communicating much more than just come follow and I will make you fisher of men. What was he, what was he communicating? He said, I'm going to introduce you to a total different world. Your salvation, you following me, is literally going to change, to redefine the way you think about business, the way you think about family, the way you think about your life, the way you think about saving, the way you think about spending your time, your talents, and your treasures. It's going to redefine everything. Let me introduce you. You as a fisherman were defined by your birth. You are fishermen. You're catching fish. You have a net. You throw it out in the water. And that net catches fish. And then you put it in your boat. You sell it. And you live by that. Let me help you to understand from this moment. I'm going to expand your fishing world. I'm going to change your fishing world to a world that you've never seen. The net is my gospel. The gospel of the kingdom thrown out by the church. The net is this ability and this responsibility, this exciting journey that we have as the church. Throwing it, they say, he calls these fishermen and says, come, you're not going to stop doing what you do. I'm going to redefine what you do, that you do this with a much greater purpose. You're not just doing it for earthly gain. You're doing this because you have eternity in view. Expand your net. Your company is a net place. It needs a net. It needs somebody who knows how to throw out a net. Your family is a place that needs a net. The world we live in needs a net. Our society needs a net. They're throwing out, throwing out the gospel of Christ. What is the sea? You see, Matthew 13, 47 says, The kingdom of God is like a net. Thrown out. What is the sea? Oh, I don't have to explain much. The sea is this beautiful, load-shedding world we live in. The sea is this world where we look at government to save us and to become the savior, and it's never going to happen. You see, the sea is this stormy world that Isaiah 57 talks about. It is tossed to and throw by all the stuff of the world. This world we live in, that is a stormy place. And friends, stormy place is fishing time. He says, you were catching fish in this little pond. Let me expand your pond. The world is your pond. That's your sea. And the more I'm shaking the world, the more you throw out your net. The more I'm shaking the world. Don't be part of the world. You are not of this world. You are aliens. You are different. When you see the world get shaken, you start to think like a fisherman. The way you see things is going to determine your actions. See the opportunities. See what I'm doing. I'm shaking the world. I'm preparing the people for you. I'm shaking the world. I'm shaking the sea. The storm is here. But how do you think? He says, you need to become a fisherman. You've been fishing. Fish. I'm going to redefine fisherman. And I'm going to redefine fish. So that you can have eternity in view. In all that you do. You are now from now on. Fisherman. Oh, Jesus, but we've been fishermen. No, you have not been fishing. Let me explain to you what fishing means. And it says, you were allowing your birth to define your occupation. But from the moment your salvation happens, your salvation redefines your occupation. When you get born again, you're now a fisherman in my sea, using my net, and you're looking at the fish that I define as fish. No matter where you work. This is not pertaining to those who are full-time on staff. This is those who are full-time caught. You're either a fish that, is, that should be caught, or you're one that's caught, and now you become a fisherman. So Jesus comes in and says, I'm, re I'm redefining what fisherman means. I'm redefining your values, your priorities. I'm redefining your kingdom perspective. And why do you live? Why do you want to make money? I said to this businessman, I said, you've got all the money in the world. He said, for I've got zero purpose. Imagine he gets a purpose that goes way beyond his own investments. Imagine he gets a purpose where you can switch people from one kingdom to the next. My son was moved to another school and they invited some of their friends to come to, with them to church. And about 12 of these friends pitched up the church. And the one lady that night at the altar call gave her life to Christ. She put up her hand and he came to the day. What's the name gave her life to Christ? I said, do you know what happened here? Yeah, she gave her life to Christ. I said, think through this. 
Your invitation was not a small invitation. This lady was on her way forever, eternally, to be separated from God with never ever the option or opportunity ever to get saved ever again. Eternally condemned. And you invited her and you have switched hell to heaven. Forever. This was not a small night for her. You give me one business deal that will even equal this. You won't find it. Imagine one day Jesus comes to the fisher and here we go, we fly, fly away and it's beautiful and we're so excited and you look down from heaven and you see my son is staying behind. And your son looks up and says, Daddy, Daddy, where are you going? I'm going eternally away from you. But Daddy, why don't you never tell me? No mother wants to experience that ever. No dad wants to experience that ever. May our neighbors not experience that. Friends, this is not an obligation. All of this comes from a heart that overflows from gratitude where I've been saved from. And I have the good news. Inside of me there's something that I've found that I don't want to be selfish with. Becoming a fisherman is not something that we do. It's something who we are. I want to clarify something. And I'm putting it in a statement, but I want you to hear the angle of it, the understanding of it. I've wrestled, I have throughout life battled to find Afrikaans people who make disciples. I've wrestled to find Sutu people, Kosa people to make, who make disciples. I have not found farmers who make disciples. I haven't found doctors who make disciples. I haven't found engineers who make disciples. They all are defined by their occupation and they don't have time. I've only found disciples who make disciples, no matter where they work. The point I'm trying to make, if your occupation is your full definition of your purpose, you will always find an excuse to never step into kingdom occupation. Which is not Christianity at all. When the moment we get born again, our occupation is becoming submissive to our spiritual occupation. It's redefined. I'm a fisherman. And what I'm doing is I'm fishing for men and women. I'm fishing for people. I'm a, I'm a fisherman working as a doctor. I'm a fisherman working as an engineer. I'm a fisherman working as a, 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 a teacher or a social worker. I'm a fisherman. And if I don't fish, I'm missing. I want to fish people. I want to bring people into the kingdom of God. And I'm using my earthly occupation to perform my spiritual occupation. Your net is the gospel. Your sea is the world we live in. The fish around you are the people Christ died for you. And you are the fishermen God's calling to throw out the net so we can catch them. Lord, help us. And this will be a heart's motivation. Listening to these testimonies, how many more people are out there, down and out, desperate crying out for somebody to care, somebody to invite, Somebody to just pick up the phone and say, can we have coffee? Would you help us to have that? Bless this church, God. May this church grow through intentional engagement. Reaching those who do not know you. And from there, Lord, may they become established that they themselves will go again. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Story sees of... Fishing times, stormy seas of fishing times. Lord Jesus, I agree with this. Lord God, help us, help us to see the times we live in. Church, as as Philip was preaching, I absolutely, absolutely heard the Spirit of the Lord say to us, it's time to throw out your nets. It's time to throw out your nets. You know what so interested me about the testimonies we heard? is that could you see how God was already at work in both their lives before they even heard the gospel, before someone even stepped into their lives. There are people around you that God has prepared already to hear the gospel. There are people just waiting to know what is this thing I'm feeling? What are these encounters I'm having? What are these dreams I'm having? What is this emptiness telling me? And I hear the Lord saying, with what Pastor Philip said, stormy seas are fishing times. Stormy seas are fishing times. 
Pastor Philip, thank you so much. Can we give him another hand? So, so, so great. I want to ask Philip, Saeed, Dieter, do you please have time where you can pray for people? I feel like I feel like there's an impartation that's resting on the three of them, just a, a boldness in the Lord. And I would love that impartation to rest on us. And so I'm going to invite them to come forward. And if you would like an impartation from them, won't you just come forward and they'll lay hands on you. And what they're going to pray for, you know, they can't make you into something. Only Jesus can do that. What they're going to do is they're going to pray for a seed of boldness in your heart. And I'm going to ask you to take it and nurture it. Nurture it by stepping out, by doing something you haven't done before, by being bolder than you've ever been before and trusting God in that moment to do something that you couldn't do. Amen. Amen. So Lord Jesus, we thank you for this moment. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen and amen and amen. God bless you all. God's with you. You're awesome. Amen. I'm going to invite um, the three men forward. Also, our ministry team, if you wouldn't mind coming forward, if you need prayer for healing. If, if you were listening to this message and something in your heart said, I have an emptiness in my own heart. I have an emptiness in my own heart. I, I lack purpose. And I need to make a step of saying yes to Jesus. If that's you, won't you also come forward and someone will pray with you. They will, they will help you take that next step. So if that's you, please also come forward. God bless you. Let's give the Lord a hand. Come on forward, ministry team. Amen. Go and live a life that you always wanted to live in Jesus. Be big, be bold, be, be filled with Jesus. God bless you all.